This week on Geek Explained, with the release of Immortal Thor number one kicking off a brand new era for the God of Thunder, I'm winding the clock back to a story that modernized the original adventures of Thor Odinson. So join me as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Thor the Mighty Avenger. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is another edition of our Geek Explained Spotlight series, where I take a specific comic book, graphic novel, miniseries, maxi series, what have you, and talk about why it's so freaking great. And this week, inspired by the release of Immortal Thor number one last week, I am diving into one of my favorite just feel good comics. I love comics that you just feel good about. I posted on Twitter this past week, there's something special about revisiting an old comic and falling in love with it all over again. And when I saw this on my shelf this past month, I knew I needed to reread this. And I am, of course, talking about Thor, the Mighty Avenger, uh, written by Roger Langridge with art by Chris Somney and Matthew Wilson. Um, I love this book. I love this book so much. It's one of my favorite versions of Thor. Maybe my favorite version of Thor's, like, origin story. And this week we're going to talk about it. Uh, this is kind of inspired by Immortal Thor last week. I absolutely love that issue. More on that later. But I really wanted to finish off my birthday month this year by talking about a comic that I love and a comic that I love coming back to. Um, it's a comic that was tragically cut short way too soon, and it makes me sad every single day that there isn't, you know, 50 issues of this. But we are going to be talking about that in the main event of this episode. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, and our latest weekly review on the penultimate episode of My Adventures with Superman. Lots to talk about this week. Um, unfortunately, I do want to talk about some really not great stuff that happened over the past week. This past week was really um, hard, when it came to some big-time deaths. Um, I want to talk about them briefly here. Uh, three wrestling-related deaths and one comic book-related uh, death. I Let's get into the one, I guess, as they happened, which is such a... Uh, it's a terrible thing to say. But we saw the passing of Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt over the course of last week, and this one hit me really hard. Um, Terry Funk is kind of a name that's always been around. There's a joke, if you're a wrestling fan, um, about how many times Terry Funk has retired from their pro wrestling business, and it has been way too many times, let's just say. But I was... I, you know, you you 
see you know old time celebrities old time wrestlers or even you know the older people in your life and you just kind of expect they're always always going to be there um terry funk was known as the hardcore legend he was the guy who kind of pioneered popularizing hardcore matches bringing in weapons all that stuff and so his legacy in the industry is vast it's huge he had an incredible career and then you have bray wyatt a wrestler who I was immediately transfixed by when he made his debut. I think it was back in, what, 2011, 2012? Probably 2012. And I was just enamored with his character work. I was enamored with the way that he could connect to audiences, to other wrestlers, the stories he loved to tell. And as time went on and he went through a few different characters... It was always a gift and always a joy to see just what he would come up with next. Um, it's it's tough. I found out shortly after he he passed that uh, he was 36 when he died, um, which is five years older than me, which in my birthday month is, I can't even describe that feeling. But Bray Wyatt is a character and a wrestler and a person the person Wyndham Rotunda who just I don't know he he touched so many lives he inspired so many people his creativity was off the charts I said this on social media he is maybe the greatest mind to enter the business in the last 15-20 years and his loss is going to be felt if for no other reason than all of the potential that was still left untapped. Um, it's terrible. It, it genuinely is. Um, shortly after that, we learned of the passing of Bob Barker, which is wrestling related for me because, you know, the price is right. His time with that was kind of before my time, but boy, howdy, do I remember his inclusion in wrestling, including one of the greatest raw guest host episodes ever. Maybe the best. He might've been the best guest host of raw, um, playing prices right on the show. Uh, his interactions with Chris Jericho It's an incredible episode. If you are a wrestling fan, I urge you rewatch that episode, go back in the archives. It's worth it just for him alone. Um, it's, it's a shame. It really is. Uh, Bob Barker lived, uh, many many years and he lived a full life but it's never you never feel like it's enough and i know that there are people who are older than me who had a you know a more i guess uh a, a greater connection with him that are going to feel the loss even more so um but one of the heaviest losses this past week was arlene sorkin who passed away. Uh, if you don't recognize the name, you might recognize the character that she popularized. She was the original voice of Harley Quinn in the Batman animated series. And she brought that character to life. They wrote that character and created her specifically for Arlene Sorkin to voice. And so you can... All, all of you fans of Harley Quinn, all the cartoons, video games that she's featured in, you know all of the worldwide success that she's gained, you can trace that back to Arlene Sorkin, who was a dynamo of a performer, even just outside 
of her voiceover work. Um, these are several losses that are are going to be felt for a long time. Obviously, here at Geek Explained, we're sending all the love and condolences that we can to the families of those who we lost in the past week. And um, yeah, it's it's been a tough one, y'all. And there's really no way to, you know, cleverly segue. So I'm just going to kind of roll through into uh, the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Roger Langridge, Chris Somney, and Matthew Wilson's Thor the Mighty Avenger. The greatest step of any journey is the beginning. It's also the hardest step. Getting started can be scary, terrifying even. And when you are tasked with going on an adventure, there's a lot of trepidation. How can you make your journey different from the others? How can you make it worthwhile? And what happens if you don't quite get to finish the journey? These are questions that I've been pondering for a while, and questions that brought me to the book that I will be covering this week. It's a book that I've held near and dear for a very long time, and it's a book that I can't believe I haven't talked about before. But with the release of Immortal Thor last week, it got the gears turning again. Al Ewing is embarking on a journey that is going to, in his words, recontextualize everything you know about the God of Thunder. And it got me thinking about a story that did that for me. A story that... I have loved for a very long time and a story that I am so excited to talk about. This week we're going to be covering Thor the Mighty Avenger. This is written by Roger Langridge with art by Chris Somney and Matthew Wilson. And this is, in my mind, for my money, the best entry point for a fan to read Thor comics. And I know that that sounds crazy because there are so many good Thor comics. I mean, we dedicated an entire little mini season of our book club last year to the Days of Thunder when we covered the entirety of Jason Aaron's Thor run. But if you come to a person and they say, hey, I want to get into Thor I really enjoyed the movies, but I don't really know where to start with the comics. There's so many years of comics that you can get into. What's the best entry point for someone who doesn't really know a lot? This is what I hand them. And I remember this because that was the answer for me. I remember going into a comic book shop when I was younger, when I was first really, really getting into 
comic books and collecting them. This was probably, you know, middle of middle or near the end of high school when I actually started getting comic books myself. And I was enchanted by the idea of Thor. And it wasn't really until the first movie came out, and this was I'm this was what, 2011, so I had graduated high school the year before, and I was working and I was buying comic books uh, on the regular, but I didn't really know where to get started with this character. And so I was in the comic book shop and I was thumbing my way through Thor comics through the trades, the big stuff, the little stuff. And I came upon this little book. It was smaller than your average trade paperback. And it was tucked away behind, you know, your big tomes of, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby and all the several different takes on the character that had come before. But I loved how simplistic it looked. I loved how it felt like this was something that would catch the eye of someone who wasn't really well-versed in the God of Thunder's adventures when it comes to comic books. And I loved that the art reminded me of old-school Saturday morning cartoons. And this, dear listener, is where my love affair with Chris Somney began. Because this was the book that introduced me to his art. This was the book that got me to really appreciate how timeless this style of art is. Um, whether it's Chris Somney or my favorite artist, Doc Shader, uh, Tom Riley, all of that, you know, style of comic booking really, really just feeds my soul. And this book, unfortunately, did not get to finish because of a myriad of reasons. And that always kind of bummed me out because I really loved what I found and I wanted more. And obviously, this would lead to getting into the Jason Aaron run. This would lead into everything that came after that. But I will track and I will trace my fandom of Thor in the comics to this story. This little miniseries that that shouldn't have been a miniseries. It should have been 50 or 100 issues. And I'm always going to cherish this for that. Because what this did was it took a lot of the modern trappings. I mean, by the time that this came out, this was what? 20... I believe this was 2010, 2011 when the book officially came out. It was a it was a recontextualization of Thor's earliest adventures but utilizing the style and um i guess costumes especially of modern Thor and modern Marvel and so what it did was it blended all of the stuff we love about old school silver age comic booking and gave it a fresh coat of paint and if that sounds familiar to you it's exactly what it sounds like. This is Marvel's world's finest. And I don't give that that title lightly. 
I want you to know, I love World's Finest. The book by uh, Mark Wade and Dan Mora is absolutely incredible. And what it does so well is it gives a throwback to a time that we all love. Younger heroes, brighter colors, a little bit more wacky adventures, but with modern storytelling involved. And that's exactly what Thor the Mighty Adventure the adventure thor the mighty avenger did this book truly was ahead of its time by about 12 years let's say and i believe if this book came out today who boy would it be going on and be bestseller but again we only got this little bit and it still bums me out because i truly think that this is the best entry point for thor that you can give to a new reader and i was inspired by the release of Immortal Thor last week to talk about it, because I love this book. So let's get into it. Let's talk about this book, this rebirth, if you will, of Thor's original adventures. And you can tell that the movie, at least the first movie, was on the mind of the people in charge. Because if you watch that movie there's a certain magic to it i mean there is i've grown to love it more over time because it's that classic fish out of water story where thor is banished to the mortal realm and has to kind of deal with that and so seeing this story largely involve those kind of themes is exciting and it's a very easy thing to give to new readers who aren't maybe as well-versed in Thor to get into stuff like the God Butcher. But what I love so much about this story is it takes Thor and it says, what can we do differently that pays homage to the classic Thor of old while still giving it a little bit more oomph to make it modern? And what they did was they said, let's do Thor and make it Doctor Who. And... I mean, I don't know why no one had thought of that idea before, but it works brilliantly. It is one of my favorite... It's one of my favorite treatments of the character in that you have this world that is not unlike our own. Normal... I mean, mostly. (laughs) It's It's a normal world with your normal POV character, in this case, Jane Foster, who is living in Bergen, Oklahoma. And it kicks off right away with a familiar sight. Not a blue police box, but a rainbow bridge. And we see... Jane. We're introduced to Jane. We we fall in love with Jane immediately. She is fun. She is spunky. She has an attitude. She is everything you would want in a Doctor Who companion. And she is everything you would want in a POV and a main character. And she is working at this museum. A war museum, I might add. Uh, it's a building filled with memorabilia of battles past, which is fitting for a Thor story. And so she is very well-versed. She's just given the keys to the department after the former head has left. And then she sees that there is a commotion going on in the 
museum, and a homeless person is being wrestled down by two security guards after trying to break one of the pieces set at the museum. And this, my dear listener, is when we are introduced to Thor. I mean, what more could you ask for, right? This is just, it's its an incredible start to this character because obviously he is adorned in his Thor regalia just with this large trench coat that he probably found in a dumpster. And he immediately is smitten with Jane, as are we all. And as the first interaction goes kind of swimmingly for them he's getting wrestled by these security guards but she's able to talk him down and he leaves peacefully we see his involvement start to bleed into jane's regular life she's got this boyfriend who's not really her boyfriend she just broke up with and he's not taking it well his name is jim and he's just he's just he's just a guy he's just guy being dudes and they immediately have this you you get this very uh early to mid 2000s vibe from them where it's the the exes who you kind of have a feeling by the end of the story are going to wind up again together but who's to say but their conversation is cut off by the reappearance of thor who is in a bar fight and it's not immediately clear on who he's fighting but it's somebody strong enough to throw him through windows and he's just he's very much just a uh throw hands ask questions later kind of thor which i really do appreciate about a younger thor uh everyone knows everyone knows my love for uh fuckboy thor in jason aaron's run but we do see that he's also held on to a lot of his honor where he's like, there's a guy in there who's bothering a girl. He won't leave her alone. So we're having words. And this guy is revealed to be Hyde. And Hyde is a character who does not get a lot of play. He's exactly what he sounds like and exactly what you're picturing. He's Jekyll and Hyde. Um, but his full name, I believe... Um, it's Zo something. I'm going to have to re-look at this. Either way, um, Hyde is battling with Thor. And Hyde, like the rest of us, immediately sees Jane and becomes smitten with her. And he wants to make her his. And Thor is not about that. So the two of them continue to fight. Thor is overwhelmed. And one thing that you notice is that Thor isn't fighting with his hammer. Thor isn't fighting with his hammer, and he is getting his shit rocked by Hyde, who eventually begins to change back into his human form, so he has to escape. And Thor, who is dealing with pretty severe injuries, asks Jane to take him to the museum. So they head, they head back to the museum with the help of Jim, who gives them a ride in his car. And Jim, Jim's a good guy. Jim's a good dude. But they get to the museum, and Thor is like, there's something that's really important to me here. And I just, if I'm going to die, I want to be with it. And it's, again, feeling very Doctor Who. It's the Doctor stranded in a city trying to get back to his police box. And they go to the artifact that Thor was earlier trying to smash. And 
Jane gives him the you know the background on it, and she's like, uh, it was found in a dig in Norway. We think it might be some sort of like religious icon or icon or some kind of relic. And Thor immediately is just like, nope, Temple of Iron, Temple of Odin, Iron Age. It was used to collect goat's blood for sacrificial purposes. And he's like, can I see it real quick? And she's like, you're not going to break it. He's like, I don't have any weapons. And she's like, all right, true. And he picks the thing up and he just smashes it down on the floor. And Jane is incensed. She's like, this is my job. I can't believe you did this. But he reaches into the rubble, into the broken pieces of this uh, of this urn and pulls out Mjolnir. It was trapped inside there and that's why he was trying to get into it. And him unveiling himself as Thor, the god of thunder, still gives me goosebumps. It's a wonderful piece of comic booking. It's a wonderful full-page spread. Jane shocked in the background. It's one of my favorite images of the character. And it's, it's just, it's so cool. I love it. I really do. And again, this speaks to Chris Somney's art, who does a great job in making sure that things feel familiar yet new. Thor is in his uh, post, uh, this is probably his post Ragnarok look, where he's got the, the chain mail, he's got the, the battle dress, he's got the whole thing. And he's looking very dangerous. He's got the helmet with the short, uh, the short wings. It's a great look. It's it's top five for sure. And the way that Somni draws it is just ah, uh, it's Chef's kiss. But we see throughout the story that Thor doesn't know why he's here. His his memory's a little shot, and he doesn't know why he's not in Asgard. He doesn't know why he can't go home. He remembers having an argument with his father, Odin, but he doesn't know what happened next. He woke up on the side of a road and has just been wandering ever since. And so the whole story is about him trying to figure out how to get back home, and what the hell happened. And Jane is more than willing to help him try and figure this out. And you see this friendship that slowly blossoms into something more as they are trying to learn more about each other, learn more about their respective backgrounds, and learning how to deal with all of the craziness that is involved in the Marvel world. And we get to see a lot of, like I said, the same beats from that first Thor movie where Thor is, you know, raging at the sky. Why can't I get home? What have I done? Why don't I remember? And all the while, once again, Hyde is sneaking around trying to get more of his formula. Um, I believe his name is, it's Z, it's Z, Zabo, Zabo, Zabo's his name. Uh, so Zabo is trying to get more of the formula that turns him into Hyde. And he kills this scientist. That's, make sure you pay attention to that. That's a tool saved for later. He kills this scientist in the, uh, in the path and in the way of him getting more of his, uh, his cherished formula. And we get to see Thor now dealing with the, you know, the normal things that we kind of take for granted. Sandwiches refrigerators, daytime TV, and 
we see Thor learning about the world while also having to once again contend with Hyde. Hyde returns to try and take Jane, Thor battles him, and this fight isn't going to go like last time. Hyde even says, uh, he's like... Uh, he's like that's right you preposterous baboon hit me with everything you've got hit me with your broken bones hit me with and Thor wallops him with Mjolnir because he's got his strength back now and he kicks the crap out of Hyde until he reverts back to Zabo and we see that the cane that he was holding it's this long ornate cane with a skull's head on top is part of a set weirdly Uh, it's a, it's an exact duplicate of one that is owned by the museum curator, which is a curious thing. Or the one that the curator had was a replica. And we see that the, the cane was made to hold vials of the formula. And so at the conclusion of part two, we see Thor this really sad moment right so jane is kind of doing all the rigmarole afterwards after the battle and she's like oh dealing with this weird curator and we see her go to look for thor and thor is on the other side and he's just watching this rainbow and it's incredibly i'm just gonna read this to you because it's so sad uh jane says thor there you are thor i just wanted to say thank you again i thought you'd And then Thor just interrupts her and he says, it is not the one. And then they look out and they see a rainbow. And he says, I thought it was the bridge. I thought I had found my way home. But I followed it and it just kept getting further away. Thor has only ever known one rainbow. And that's the bridge that takes him wherever he wants to go. So this is heartbreaking. He says, what manner of world is this, Jane? What kind of a world is it where the words of scholars spill forth from the mouth of a beast, where one's foes lack the most basic understanding of honor? What kind of a world is it where where the sky tricks you? And it's so, oh man, this this guy just wants to go home. He doesn't know why he's here. He doesn't know what happened. He just knows he is in a far off land and he doesn't understand the world around him. And you know, Jane kind of gives the perfect reply. She's like, I don't know if you want to hear this, but this is my world, and I'm sort of fond of it. Thing is, right now, this is your world, too. Give it a chance. I hope you get back to Asgard. Honestly, I do, but Earth is full of wonders, too. You could do a lot worse. You shouldn't stop looking for a way home. I'm not asking you to do that, but try just for a little while, to make the most of where you are. And Thor, though reluctantly, is willing to follow Jane anywhere she goes. He says, how do I do that, Jane? How? This earth so full of wonders, where are they? All I have found since arriving here is brutality, hunger, dirt, and dishonor. Show me your wonders, Jane. Show me something beautiful in this ugly world of yours. And Jane who is ever the optimist, even in the darkest of moments, says, where do I begin? And they get this beautiful shot of the rainbow. It's gorgeous. It's just this beautiful moment between two strangers who are trying to find common ground. And it's 
genuinely it's it's lovely uh part three is the most i would say world's finest out of the whole series because it's thor starting to meet the wider world and we see the origin story not of thor not of any other you know character in his supporting cast but we cut to 10 years ago and the origin story of one dr henry hank pym and hank was the protege let's say of the scientist that zabo killed and Cutting to today, outside of a research facility in upstate New York, we encounter modern-day Hank and his girlfriend, Janet Van Dyne. And we see, again, Chris Somney just doing the work when it comes to Ant-Man. What he does with this... Um, with Ant-Man's costume is incredible because he does exactly what Dan Mora does for all the characters and the redesigns that he does in World's Finest is that he takes the classic version of the costume and gives it something extra, something new, something that you don't expect. And with this, it's the modular pieces of Ant-Man's helmet, right? He's got, if you look at like Silver Age Ant-Man, Hank Pym, the original costume, he's got this giant gaudy helmet with the antenna, the earpieces that kind of connect into the mouthpiece that allows him to speak to ants. Well, he at this point is both Ant-Man and Giant-Man, and when he's Giant-Man, speaking to ants doesn't really do him any good, especially because he's so much larger than they are. So what he does is the earpieces that connect to the mouthpiece are modular. They pop off of the helmet and they connect onto a collar piece so you can tell when he's normal sized you can tell when he's speaking to ants you can tell when he's giant sized just because of the of that artistic and visual cue it's such a cool thing and something that i've never seen done on an ant-man helmet and i would love to see because it's so there's a practicality to it right there's a certain um I guess there's a certain movie aesthetic to it where you can see it easily being adapted. Like, with the the MCU Ant-Man costumes, they've, in my opinion, progressively gotten kind of worse. I love that first costume because it feels so... Not that it feels so real world, but it does. But, like, there's a, there's a practicality to it. There's, you know, it's not just a nano suit that you press a button and it... Whoop, turns on it's you know we have the helmet that like you press a button on the side and the faceplate pops up and the mouthpiece just kind of pops out and dangles it's like a it's like a seatbelt and with this it gives that same kind of feeling but we see that uh, Thor is having nightmares and he's visited by Loki and I love this Loki design too it's very reminiscent of kid Loki but Obviously, as an adult, he's got the same kind of um, Kid Loki's cowl with the crown with the three. They almost look like wings as well. But it's Loki. He's got like all these belts and adornments. Again, a very practical looking Loki costume. But he visits Thor and he's like, okay, you got to get home. Like, dad doesn't know I'm here, but I'm going to give you some visions. And we see that in the guise of trying to be helpful, 
Loki's just causing more trouble. Now we hear, we see uh, Hank and Janet find out about his uh, old mentor's death, but no one tells him for whatever reason that the guy who did it has been caught. But Janet and Hank as Ant-Man and the Wasp go off to investigate and follow the trail to Thor. Unfortunately, at this time, Thor starts having these visions that Loki has cursed him with, and he sees Hank, who has turned into Giant Man, as a frost giant. And so the two of them start to do battle. And again, this doesn't just give you know time for Thor and Jane's building relationship, but it does a great job in giving us what we need to know about Hank and Janet. And what Roger Langridge does really well is giving everyone time and pathos and room to breathe in these issues. And I I just I love his treatment of it. Again, if this if this book had been released today, people would be going bananas for it. But we see uh, Thor thinking that Giant Man is a, is a frost giant go off and try to attack him. Giant Man is not prepared for this, and the two of them are fighting. Meanwhile, Janet goes to talk to Jane. And again, just the Silver Age-ness of everyone's costumes really just sings to me. It's Janet's old school red and black costume uh, that completely exposes her face. She's got her wings. It's really cool. And... We see Jane fill Janet in on what had happened. And so, again, I just, I love seeing the modular helmet. Like, I can't stress to you enough how cool this is. Like, if there was an Ant-Man helmet that did this, I would be buying it. But we see that uh, after being filled in on what the situation is, Hank uses his ant helmet, and I, again... He takes off the collar pieces, clicks, click clacks it onto his helmet, and the antenna just like flip, flip up. And he uses his, uh, his helmet to more or less cure Thor of his ailment and of these visions. Unfortunately, it's not quite in enough time for Thor to not knock his ass out. <laughs> So Thor knocks him out. He falls backwards, still in his giant form. And unfortunately, he falls right onto these train tracks. And a train is a coming. Again, really great, just classic old school uh, Silver Age storytelling. Oh no, there's a train coming. And it's going to crash into Giant Man. And we see Thor do his, pull his best Superman and stop this locomotive before it hits Ant-Man. And afterwards, they all have a conversation. They give uh, Thor and Jane their card in case they ever need them for anything. And it's just lovely. You get this book. The issue is bookended by this conversation between Hank and his uh, professor, Dr. Stevens. And Stevens kind of gives this really nice, uh, I guess, bookend onto the story where... He's he's talking about, you know, Hank is saying, like, I want to thank you for your help. You you helped me figure out the pin particle. And Dr. Stevens is like, that's my job. Like, 
I don't owe you anything. We all owe something to somebody who came before us and make no mistake. I know I do. He's like, maybe you'll get the chance, your chance to pay me back one day. Maybe you won't. That's not important. And he says kind of the, it's weird because it's obviously the thesis statement on the issue, but I think it's the thesis statement on really the whole book. He says, what is important is that you pass it on. That's how science works. Perhaps one day your notes will inspire somebody else, or maybe you'll just have the opportunity to help someone. When that day comes, think of me and we'll be quits. And it brings me back to this quote that I've always really loved, where it says, everyone has the capacity to help. And anyone, it's anyone has the capacity to help and everyone should try to. And I just, I love it. It's, again, just the the thesis statement for the story, thesis statement for the book, the thesis statement behind superheroes. If you can help, it's great power. With great power comes great responsibility. It's a wonderful lesson to be told. Uh, chapter four is just, it's boys' night. Boys' night, where we get to see Thor getting used to the world now. He's dressing in normal clothes. Um, he's hanging out with Jane. They're trying to do their research. They're looking through books, dozens and dozens of books, trying to figure out a way to get him back. When we see the Rainbow Bridge reopen and three characters pop out of it. They approach Jane's home and we are introduced to the Warriors 3. And I love these guys. I just love them. Um, I believe this was also, in my mind, the first time I ever looked at Hogan as being Asian. Because he's very clearly Asian here. <laughs> and I never saw him as being an Asian character before. But he's very clearly drawn Asian uh, by Somni, who is killing it right now with Asian characters in Firepower. And we see Thor is just overwhelmed by happiness to see his friends. And they're like, we got to go out on the town, my guy. And so they go to the UK because they're looking for this old tavern that they visited thousands of years ago, which obviously isn't there anymore. But we see them run afoul of one Captain Britain. Again, the world just getting larger, the world getting brighter, the world filling up with more heroes, and Thor is finding himself amongst all of them. And as time goes on, there is a... You get to see there's a lightness to Thor. He's enjoying himself throughout this book. And while this whole fight is... It's essentially a bar fight between Thor and Captain Britain. Uh, inside the bar also, uh, we saw that Captain Britain was having this conversation with... Uh, with his friends, he's hanging out with his friend and this woman who I don't know if they just met or whatever, but I, I love this. I, I just, ugh, it's so good. Um, let me see here. Uh, because what he does when he sees uh, Thor and the Warriors 3 show up, he's like, oh, I, I, I got to hit the bathroom. I'm not feeling too well. And he does that classic Superman thing of like he goes off as Clark Kent. And he comes back as... Captain Britain and the whole fight starts 
And meanwhile, in the bar, his best friend is talking to this girl. And she's like, do you think we should check on him? He's He's been in there a really long time. And his friend's like, oh, no, it's okay. He's Captain Britain. And she's like, what? He's like, he's Captain Britain. He thinks his friends don't know, but he's terrible at keeping a secret. So we pretend we don't notice. And automatically, all of a sudden, I love Captain Britain. And I want to know more about this. Because there's something to the idea of secret identities being both a point of tension, but also a fun point of humor in stories. You can tell stories of your person, your hero, almost getting exposed and having to deal with the ramifications of his loved ones being put in danger. Or you can tell stories where his friends figured it out and they're just not telling him that they know so that he doesn't feel bad for how badly he keeps secrets. It's just really, there's so much you can do and that's why, my dear listener, Secret identities are important. They matter. And at the end of the bar fight, they're able to, you know, come to an understanding. We see, I'm, I'm not going to tell you who wins, because, I, again, I want you to read this. But the issue ends with all of them just having this great, like, get-together again. After a bar fight, after a scrap, Thor is just like, hey, you like, you're good. Like, we're we're good, let's have a drink. And Captain Britain's like, ah, oh, man, I gotta go. There's, you know, I'm sure there's trouble. And his buddy, his best friend, who's just like, won't you stay, uh, uh, Captain? These guys are such a laugh. And eventually they bring Captain Britain in. He's like, all right, fine, just a quick one. And we see them going home afterwards. Thor returns to Jane's apartment or home or house and jane also went out for a girl's night and she went drinking and the two of them kind of settle on the couch and he's he sits down and she you know they, they cuddle and he's like hey i was just i just went to a tavern in an old part of town and she's like oh that sounds nice and he says it was i made a friend and we get that like classic old school cartoon like superimposing of captain britain giving a salute and it's just it's wonderful i love this book so much and i wish i could keep talking about it but unfortunately this was all i found this was all i could find because the story ended before it was supposed to i asked high and low uh, at the comic book shop after i first read this years ago on is there more of this? Are we getting more of this? And he said, no, it was canceled. And so I have been wrestling with this unfortunate, un with this unfortunate knowledge of not being able to finish a story that I absolutely adore. Uh, they canceled this before it's time. And we don't get any more issues. And it bums me out because this is a great story. This is Thor trying to figure out what he had done, why he is here, but making the most of what he has here. He's doing exactly what Dr. Stevens says. He's taking the lessons that he's learned as a young Thunderer, as an adventurer, and passing them on in this world that he doesn't really understand. The blossoming relationship between him and Jane is beautiful. Obviously, the art is gorgeous. And I just love this book. And I wish we'd gotten more of it. I 
man, it's it's unfortunate. It's really, really unfortunate because I love the world that they were setting up. Again, doing a very world's finest take on the Marvel Universe and treating it as a story that is suitable for anybody if you're a thor fan you'll find stuff in here that you'll love if you are new to comic books you'll find a fun adventure of a hero trying to find his way back home and meeting all of the people along the way that'll get him there but again unfortunately you don't get an ending and it's bummed me out for god for over a decade i love this story i love these characters and obviously, you can find them in other stories. I mentioned the Jason Aaron run. You know, we just wrapped up a Donny Cates run. And now, we are getting a brand new era of Thor with the arrival of Al Ewing, giving Thor the immortal treatment. But even so, even with all of the other Thors to talk about, even the Thors that came out before this, you know, going into the Ragnarok stuff, the post-Civil uh, War stuff, where they're all in Oklahoma, you know, I, I don't think placing this story in Oklahoma was an accident. Um, I am always going to be grateful to this story for getting me to love Thor as a character, as a comic book, and as a hero. And even though, you know, the journey continues, as comic books do, the journey is long, the journey is hard, the journey will take you to places and take you through faces that you may not uh, be prepared for or recognize. You know, just kind of like the Doctor, in a way, <laughs> when it comes to Doctor Who. And again... That's the reason why I love this story. Um, as far as you go, and I think appropriately thinking about this during my birthday month, there's always going to be a little bit of nostalgia. There's always going to be a little bit of yearning for the, uh, the times of old. And what's beautiful about comic books is that you can go back and read the times of old. You can feel your nostalgia. You know, I, f I think this was a, an appropriate story to cover for the last uh, week of my birthday month because I am, I'm a 90s kid. I love my nostalgia. And <laughs> I love this story because it set me on the journey to becoming a fan of the God of Thunder through the God Butcher saga, through... The coming of the mighty Thor, the war Thor, the war of the realms, the black winter, and everything that else has come out of that. But every so often, I like to look back at the story that started that journey for me. I said at the top of this that the first step in a journey is always the hardest. But it's also the most important. And this represents the first step on that journey. And what a mighty first step this was.
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now I am reviewing episode number nine of My Adventures with Superman. I love this show. This episode is entitled Zero Day Part Two. And we are picking up right after the events of Zero Day Part 1, where Clark has been captured by Task Force X. And what a great freaking episode. Like, I've talked about how much you can tell that there is some genuine love put into this show by the creators, the voice actors, the animators. Everyone who touched this show has a love for Superman. And you can tell because of episodes like this. Uh, The action is stellar. The writing is incredible. Um, We get the backstory and we find out what Zero Day was. It was the day that some kind of Kryptonian gateway arrived on Earth and it almost signaled the end of the planet when it opened up and a general who is exhibiting some very Zodian behavior uh, took some ships in and rained hellfire down on the military base that it had opened up on. Uh, This is also how Clark's pod got to Earth. And luckily, something happened, we're assuming the destruction of Krypton, that shut the portal off, but not before wiping out everyone in the base, except for two soldiers, Amanda Waller and the General, who we know is named Sam, maybe perhaps Sam Lane, we'll see, we'll see, but this is the backstory that we've been waiting for. Very quick, very uh, to the point, and I love the pacing of this episode. The pacing of this episode, and I mean the entire series, but especially in this episode, is on point. I love the desperation of uh, of Lois and Jimmy to try and find Clark, them using the News Legion. I love those little kids. Uh, just... it. It's always nice to see people on the ground floor who love Superman. Like, kids, citizens, all coming together to be like, yeah, Superman's alright, we gotta help him out. And I love I love stuff like that. Obviously, we saw uh, Amanda Waller kind of outgrow the general after the general started showcasing some feelings and weakness and second thoughts so amanda waller set the parasite and the rest of the um superman kill squad free they began to wreak havoc on the entire on the base that clark was in kicking the shit out of clark himself and then the parasite got out of control and turned kaiju sized It was really cool seeing that, though it's interesting that this is the second piece of Superman media where a young Superman goes up against a giant kaiju-sized parasite. I just think it's interesting. Uh, No, I I love both of those stories, and I really, really love this episode. Because as Superman is fighting against Parasite, we see Lois step up to the plate, um, almost in a very... uh, what is it? A very uh, TMNT Mutant Mayhem way, how April goes on live TV to like get the word out that we need to help Superman and he's done so much for us and we're showing him nothing but disrespect and you know paranoia because what? Because he's different? I love this whole sequence where Lois is 
calling to action the entirety of Metropolis. And you know I love us. If you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us! As Metropolis comes together, shuts off all the power to give Superman a fighting chance. Um, there, there's one distinct moment, and I think those of you who watch the episode will know where I heard Malcolm, co-host of the book club, uh, Malcolm's voice ringing in my ear, he's not gonna make it! He's gonna make it! I just, man, I loved this episode. The action was so good. Again, seeing Superman at a certain point, once all the lights are shut off, him rising to his feet and hearing everyone calling out to him like you could do the superman save us superman just oh it's so good it's just one of those really empowering feelings and it just it 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 makes you want to you know run straight through a brick wall and go out and save the world and that's exactly what clark did at least he saved his city and his world and I just, I loved it. I really did. Uh, we also got the origin for Slade Wilson's eye patch as he got zapped in the face by Livewire. Um, so he now has this eye patch. I wish we'd, we'd, we'd been able to spend more time with Slade before that happened because I feel like that should be like a moment. But maybe in season two. But as the episode wraps up, we see Superman is able to defeat Parasite. He's taken back into custody. Okay. Also, the moment, the moment where, you know, the Parasite's just like, how are you able to do this? I beat you and I beat you again. How are you able to keep coming back? And he says, haven't you heard? And he blasts through him, taking Ivo out of the giant Parasite Kaiju. And just, this felt like, the ending of Kung Fu Hustle because he stands over him and he just says, I'm Superman. And the light around him just filling the screen. I love this show. I love this show. I love this version of Superman. I love the stories. I love these characters. I love the writing. I love the action. I love the animation. It's just, again, a show that was made specifically for me. And I love every single bit of it. Um, in the aftermath of everything, we see Amanda Waller has taken control of Task Force X um, in accordance and ordered by the heads of Checkmate. That's right, baby. Checkmate is on the board. I am stoked. It's going to be so cool. And uh, General Sam, General Sam Lane, has been issued an order to kill Superman with Ivo's little, like, black hole, red sun, kryptonite gun. We don't know exactly what it's supposed to do, but I'm assuming it's one of those three. And then we get this amazing moment at the top of uh, the Daily Planet where Superman and Lois get to kiss and say I love you and it's incredible and Jimmy's the ultimate wingman and he leaves and it's just, it's so good. The show's so good. I am really sad in a way because I love the heck out of this show. I love the heck out of these characters and we've only got one more episode left in the season and until those dirty some bitches at the studios decide to pay writers and actors what they're worth, it is going to be a while before we get season 2 of My Adventures of Superman. 
But that just means we have to cherish what we have. We've got one more episode. I cannot wait to watch it. I cannot wait to talk about it with you all next week. So get ready for that. It's the last episode, the season finale, and I am not ready for it. But that's for next week. For now, let's roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of August 30th, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I will be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books for the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And it was tough, y'all. All the books last week were real good, but ultimately it was a marvelous tie between Immortal Thor number one, obviously, since it really did a number on me and inspired me to do this episode, as well as, of course, Captain America finale. That issue I'm going to keep with me for a very long time. And that run of Captain America I'm going to keep with me for a very, very, very long time. But... Uh, that's last week. This week, I've got six books for you to check out, so let's dig right into the list, kicking things off with a pair of very special issues. Really a trio, if you look at it. First one being Marvel Age 1000. Uh, this is written by Steve McNiven, Ryan Stegman, Armando Iannucci, Dan Slott, J. Michael Straczynski, Jason Aaron, Rainbow Roll, and Mark Wade, with art also by Steve McNiven, Ryan Stegman, and others. Uh, this is a, another big landmark issue for Marvel. I don't know where they're getting Marvel Age 1000. It's... Uh, whatever. Uh, but I'm actually very interested in this issue, and... Uh, it's not just because of that awesome Gary Frank cover, because it is sick as hell. Let's dig into the synopsis and find out why this is an issue you should be picking up. It's a celebration of the Marvel Age of Comics, and you are invited. This massive, co- this massive commemorative issue includes contributions from some of the most storied creators in Marvel history, as well as a few surprises. As the classic days of Marvel are explored in depth, J. Michael Straczynski and Kari Andrews create the Marvel Universe in a backyard. Dan Slott and Michael Allred depict a crucial turning point for Captain Marvel, reuniting that, uh, that Silver Surfer team. Rainbow Roll and Jamie McKelvey explore the blossoming relationship between Cyclops and Jean Grey! Love that. The uh, original Human Torch finds his purpose thanks to Mark Wade and Alessandro Capuccio. And the Silver Surfer confronts Mephisto under the guidance of Steve McNiven and much, much more. I am really excited. I love, you know how much I love landmark issues. I'm excited to see what they're doing with this. Um... I just like stuff like this. And next up for another big landmark issue, it's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 30th Anniversary Special. This is a big one, y'all. This is written by Ryan Parrott, Matt Groom, Melissa Flores, Maria Ingrande Mora, and Jamie Jo Johnson, the Pink Ranger herself, as well as Matt Hodson with art by Hendry Presetia, Eleonora Carlini, Marco Renna, and Joe Mi Gyeong. 
I am really excited about this because you know at this point how much I love me some Power Rangers. And I, you know, I just think they're neat. I just think those comics are neat. And this is reuniting some of the teams and some of the creators that have worked on the Power Rangers comic books since they came back into prominence. I'm really excited about this. Let's dig into the synopsis. A landmark celebratory special featuring five brand new stories paying homage to the legacy of Rangers, with stories by Ryan Parrott, Matt Groom, the original Mighty Morphin Pink Ranger Amy Jo Johnson and Matt Hodson, and young adult author Maria Ingrande Mora, along with current Mighty Morphin Power Rangers superstar scribe Melissa Flores. Joining the celebration are returning fan favorite Power Rangers artists, including Hendry Prasetya, Prestea, sorry, Henry Hendry Prestea, Eleonore Carlini, and Marco Renna. Between a spotlight on Ernie and Angel Grove, Alpha Five struggle to find his true purpose. A mind-bending what-if story about Tommy's powers, which in, which introduces an all-new alternate universe. An additional tale about his marriage to Cat, and a deeper look at the Ranger Academy. This anniversary issue is truly packed full of content worthy of the 30-year legacy. Along with 40 pages of brand new, more phenomenal material, celebrate 30 years of Power Rangers with an additional 24 pages of classic material that fans new and old will be delighted to experience. Yeah, so this is a gigantic book. So definitely pick this up if you're a Marvel, Marvel, if you're a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fan. And then finally, in the trio of special issues, we have Action Comics Presents Doomsday Special. This is written by Dan Waters with art by Eddie Barrows. Y'all know how much I love Eddie Barrows on art. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, we also have uh, art by uh, Max Rider, which is cool. Love Max Rainer's art. Um, this is an interesting one because Action Comics has not had... We have not seen hide nor hair of Doomsday in Action Comics. If you want to count uh, Doombreaker or whatever his name is, uh, I don't. It's whatever. But we have not seen the true Doomsday in a very long time. So I'm curious why he's showing up now. Let's dig into the synopsis and maybe we'll find out. Doomsday rules in hell. It is a creature beyond reason, and the only force in the universe strong enough to kill Superman. It's Doomsday, the living embodiment of death, destruction, and evolution. In the wake of Dark Crisis and Lazarus Planet, King King Doomsday, King Doomsday now sits on a throne of skulls across a river of blood, holding court over the demons that swarm in the depths of hell, and he may have just found a way back to the land of the living. It's now up to Supergirl and Martian Manhunter to drive the beast back and see that he never again returns to our earthly plane, even if they must die to do it. Plus, the return of Bloodwind, the debut of the Doomhounds, and a clue to the next big Superman event. Bloodwind is also Martian Manhunter. Uh, spoilers. So I don't know what this is. Uh, maybe Bloodwind is going to be a new character. Who knows? But I am very curious. Next up, we have... A couple brand new number ones, the first of which being Miss Marvel, the new mutant. This is written by Sabir Pirzada and Iman Vellani, Kamala Khan herself, with art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham. And yes, this is Miss Marvel writing Miss Marvel. 
So I am pretty stoked about this. This is Miss Marvel stepping into the world of the X-Men at maybe the worst time to be an X-Man. Uh, this is the debut of her new suit. This is her new status quo. This is going to be very interesting. So let's dig into the synopsis. Kamala Khan is back and she's an X-Man. That's right. The good news is that fresh off her world-saving death, Kamala has been brought back via Krakoan resurrection technology. What a way to learn she's a mutant. The bad news is her debut at the Hellfire Gala didn't go exactly as planned, and now all of mutant kind are being hunted worldwide. Into this world of hate and fear, Kamala has a secret mission to pull off for the X-Men, all the while struggling to acclimate to this new part of her identity. So yeah, I am really curious what they're going to be doing with this. Because obviously this is a reset, this is a soft reboot, this is a bringing people back into an entry point for the character just in time for her to be a mutant in the MCU. But, again, Iman Vellani is a huge comic book fan, and so to have this kind of synergy is really, really awesome to see. You know this is a lifelong dream of, of hers. She is, she's the blueprint. She is the blueprint. I said this before. She is the blueprint. A fan of comic books plays the character and now gets to write the comic book of the character she's portraying. That's the dream! That's the dream! So... Definitely give this a look. I know that Miss Marvel is a tentative subject for a lot of people, especially because of that world-saving death that we are never going to reference again. And I just think it's worth it's worth giving this a shot, especially because you can tell that the people that are working on this book love this character. So I'm excited to check it out. Can't wait to pick it up. I also can't wait to pick up... <sighs> I hate to say this. Batman, Catwoman, The Gotham War, Battle Lines. This is your alpha issue for the Gotham War. I am exhausted by wars. I am exhausted. We had the Joker War. We had all these other wars. And now we're having the Gotham War. I feel like war, the word war, the term war, is incredibly overused in comic books nowadays. And if you are going to continue to use that, then the word needs to, the term, the title needs to be special. It's like crisis, even though it's, maybe that's been diluted in recent years. But like, this should be a big deal. And I feel like every other year we're getting a war. So I... I'm hoping that they can set this apart. I have faith in the creative team. Uh, this is written by Chip Zdarsky and Tini Howard with art by Mike Hawthorne and Adriano Di Benedetto. I am, I am curious. I love the current Batman run. I think it's incredible. I am cautiously optimistic. So let's see. Let's dig into the synopsis. The Bat-Cat War starts here. Crime is down in Gotham City. Could that be a bad thing? A coordinated effort in Gotham has led to a reduction in violent crime, but at what cost? Villains scatter as their lives begin to crumble under a new regime, and as Batman recovers from his epic battle through the multiverse and the horrors of night terrors, one name runs through his mind. One name at the heart of this new, safer Gotham. Catwoman. A conflict that's been brewing for well over a year finally hits the streets, and it will fracture the Bat family as war erupts. 
yeah, so I don't know how it's going to fracture. I don't know who's going to be on Team Catwoman, um, but I guess we'll have to pick up the issue and find out. But of course, the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is... Ultimate Invasion number three. This is written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Brian Hitch. We are continuing the march towards whatever this new Ultimate Universe is going to be. I am kind of terrified to see what happens, but I'm also incredibly fascinated, and I'm very excited to to continue to explore this new Ultimate Universe. Let's dig into the synopsis. After Kang descends upon the city of tomorrow, Jesus, the Illuminati must regroup. Iron Man has a heart-to-heart with Tony Stark. Doctor Doom, the anti-maker, oh no, they're giving him a title, uh, prepares his own plans to deal with this evil Reed Richards, and the ultimate universe that the maker thought he had rebuilt frays at the edges as they prepare for cosmic war. So this issue is promising a lot after it's been kind of a slow burn for the last two issues. I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but I cannot wait to read this. And I can't wait to pick up all of these books. To recap, we've got Marvel Age 1000, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 30th Anniversary Special, Action Comics Presents Doomsday Special, Miss Marvel The New Mutant Number 1, Batman Catwoman The Gotham War Battle Lines, and Ultimate Invasion Number 3. Some heavy hitters this week, some special issues this week, so make sure you make a special trip on over to your LCS this week and pick up some great comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. I will be forced to read every single word you can write. You can write anything you want. As long as you give me those five stars, sky's the limit. And you'll be able to join the likes of our terrific 21, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, a lock and AZ Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken 4656, Die Erector Hall, Mullet Overlord, Invisible Man 11, Ed Likes Things, Clip 326, That Logan, and Ken from Norway. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, maybe you want first notification on announcements, including an announcement I might be making here in a second, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at geeksplainedpod, that's at explained pod as i continue to try to figure out instagram and for as long as twitter not gonna call it x is still around we will see what happens there um Finally, every single Friday, including this Friday, I, alongside my fellow Flash family, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, put on the Geek Explained 
Book Club, where currently we're going through every single issue of every single volume of The Flash Rebirth. We are heading into the home stretch for the first half of Season 4, The Brave and the Bold, as we're covering this Friday, Flash Year One. Issues 70 through 75 of that Flash Rebirth run, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Howard Porter. This is going to be a special one, giving us a full-on reboot, re-origin, not unlike this book, Thor the Mighty Avenger, but put in modern times, obviously, and given the pseudo-New 52 rebirth, everything happened, and yet some things didn't happen spin. So if you want to join us this Friday, make sure you tune in this Friday and every Friday. Be there or be square, not a circle. Flash Fridays are a real thing. You're going to want to tune in for that. But that does it for this week's episode, and that does it for the month of August in 2023. My birth month has been really interesting. I feel like I've been able to put out some really good episodes, and you've obviously given me some really good feedback, which I really appreciate. I love being able to talk about all sorts of things. Uh, it was planned to be a all spotlight month like we did last year, but certain things I wanted to talk about just couldn't wait for the next month. But I hope you enjoyed all of the content this week, this month, and I'm pretty excited for next week. Because you see, next week we are entering September. And for the next four episodes, we're not just entering September, we're entering September. That's right, we are finally going to be dedicating the entire month of September to the Man of Steel himself, Superman. Four episodes dedicated to the Man of Tomorrow and all of his assorted adventures. I am really excited to share all the episodes we have planned. I'll be putting up a lineup fairly soon as you are listening to this, but I can let you know exclusively that next week in part one of Superman, September will be kicking things off. <sighs> really excited about this. With an interview with my favorite artist and the person whose work I immediately think of when I think of Superman in comic form, Evan Doc. Shaner. We're going to be getting right into the nitty-gritty of his approach to sketching the Man of Skeel, uh, his background in art, some of the other projects that he's gotten into, and we're just going to gush about Superman. I am so excited for you to listen to this episode. I'm so excited to share with you the conversation that uh, Doc and I had, and it's just, it's a great way to kick off our first ever Soup-tember. So join me, won't you? Next week, tune in for the beginning of September, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I have been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone stay safe, and we will see you next time.